Welcome to I Am My Passion Project, a Woman House production. I'm Lorna Nakel. I'm an artist, writer, graphic designer, thinker, a Renaissance woman, if you will. This podcast is a feminist platform to discuss sexism, health, and wellness, redefining beauty, and healing from betrayal trauma. Each season has a theme. The theme for season two is women redesigning the world as a better and safer place for women. And here's the cool thing about the fight for gender equality. Men can help us with this. And when we all come up with solutions together, it makes a better world for everyone. So grab a big old mug of fight the patriarchy tea, settle into your woman house, and let's start reimagining a world where women are made visible and empowered to become their own passion projects. Michelle Jabot Traub is a writer, healer, coach, dietitian with a master's degree in integrative health. More importantly, she is a sensitive empath who brings intuition and compassion to her work. Michelle's book, Online Dating for Sensitive Women, is much-needed dating guidance for all women, especially those who have been in or want to avoid being in a toxic or narcissistic relationship. This is the book she desperately wished she had when she experienced the challenges of online dating following her difficult divorce. Michelle draws from decades of experience in natural healing, yoga, meditation, astrology, and more to empower women to be their best. Follow Michelle at happyhealthyher.com where she shares free natural healing tools, inspiration, and empowerment support. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle. I'm so excited to have you on the season where I get to dig into how women can redesign the world as a better and safer place for women. And what a better topic to cover than the mysterious and turbulent world of online dating. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love your work and your mission. And yeah, absolutely. This is a deep dive into some scary waters. <laughs> so you wrote a book titled Online Dating for Sensitive Women, a proven system to build your confidence, protect your energy and attract your perfect partner. What happened in your life to inspire you to write that book? Well, I will tell you, Toni Morrison has a quote, and I'm actually going to read it because I'm terrible with, with memorization. But it, if there's a book you really want to read, but it hasn't been written yet, then you must write it. So that was the truth for me. I needed this book. I went into the online dating world like a total rube. <laughs> I, I didn't really date much even in high school and college. I had a lot of male friends. I was kind of just happy with that sort of dynamic. So the dating world was really new to me. I met my partner through friends when I was 24. He was 35, so big age difference. Very charismatic man swept me off my feet. We ended up living together and then we got married. And so I was with him for 17 years. I didn't even realize that he was a covert narcissist when I left him. I left him because our marriage was passionless and just really devoid of what felt like genuine love to me. I My self-esteem was very low and he had become quite cruel and I just couldn't I couldn't live like that anymore. So it's sort of a desperation of, I have to save myself. And so walking away from that was really, really difficult. What happens with a lot of narcissistic relationships is you develop 
an unhealthy and unwarranted level of shame and guilt. And so I felt really guilty for leaving him, like how terrible I was for leaving the him when really in retrospect, I'm like, oh my gosh, like he was not a good partner in so many, many ways. And I can only now see that. So the long answer of this is, I really want to protect other women because I know that my story is not that unique. A lot of women, especially sensitive women, end up settling in relationships that are not necessarily healthy. And they end up when they're in dating, they they are kind of are overgiving with their energy and they're really tolerant of behavior that's should not be necessarily tolerated. They have trouble with boundaries. And so really I wanted to share my experience. Um, not just from like a, a my own self perspective, but also of the the realities of the platforms and sort of the weirdness that has seeped into the online world. I absolutely loved your podcast with Gail Dines. That's how I came to know your work. I've been following Gail for a while because, you know, she's a crusader against porn industry, which really is a crusade for all women. Because what the porn industry does, and this bleeds into the online dating world, that's why I'm bringing it up, is it objectifies women. What happens is men get desensitized to the fact that these women on the other end of the screen are living, breathing humans. And honestly, in the dating world, there is a thread of that. There's a thread of men who act as though they're entitled to the woman's attention. They're allowed to catcall you. They're allowed to, I mean, the number of hey sexies, hey babies you get is so astounding because really it's like, who does that work on? It's a very strange dynamic. I'm a very deep introspective person and I actually loved some of my dates because I would ask the man I was dating all kinds of deep questions. I'd ask them, what are you thinking when you talk to someone? What, what are you looking for in a profile? And what I got was this real insight that men are just as confused as we are. And we're all walking around wounded. <laughs> I think everyone over the age of 20 has grief, loss, um, insecurities, and we're all out there like little children in this playground where everyone's forgetting, though, that we're all showing up this way. So it was really eye-opening to me. The whole experience was, I talk about it like I had a love-hate with it. I mean, I really did enjoy a lot of my dates, but I also hated that undercurrent of hypersexualization and objectification and dehumanizing of people. It just felt like, wow, what is happening to us as a culture? And I do think it's all connected. It's connected to the porn. It's even connected to social media where people have become more and more free with their lack of clothing and like the way they present themselves. It's become a norm. And like you and I talked about this previously, it's as though it's empowering to women, but it's not. And honestly, I tell many of us who think we're in an empowerment state, we're actually in a programmed state. Right. We're in a subconscious state of I won't exist, as Gail kind of says, unless I'm sexy, unless I'm hot, unless I'm fuckable. It's like, I don't matter. We're all being kind of fed that. And we know that, but we don't know it. Right. I don't think we know it consciously. Well, I think that there are actually a lot of women out there that 
consciously and unconsciously don't know it or want to believe it, right. just don't really want to think about it. And really, the you know, the way Gail Dines talked about it is that you have two choices as a woman. You're either fuckable or you're invisible. The world has been designed by men for men. And so that's what we're living in right now. And the media is not helping with that. Also, all of being online, I feel like started before COVID, but I think COVID really didn't help with that either because everyone is stuck online. And there's a difference between seeing a person online and seeing a person in the flesh. And I think that a lot mm -hmm. of men think that they can get away with certain things online that in real life with a real, you know, in flesh woman that they, they can't really get away with. But society tells them that you can say something shitty to someone, you can catcall, and you can just, you know, scroll past to the next pretty lady or whatever, and then catcall them right. or say something. And then the women, we've just been told that we need to be pornified. We need to reflect what the men are seeing online in pornography. So that has to do with all of the hypersexualized clothing. If you don't have this particular outfit on, you are invisible. You need to have your short, tight crop top on that's low cut, and you need to have your booty shorts on. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter where you're working. Like that is the dress code that's expected of women. And if you're not able to fit in that, then you don't exist anymore. You know, when we become thought of as less than well-rounded humans, when the idea of women having intelligence, feelings, power is lost, that's when society gets into trouble. Mm. That, that's where women start losing our rights. Yeah. Right. Well, unless you're in front of them, like you said, when you get in front of man, a man, it's a whole different energy. And they're, they're lovely. You realize, oh my gosh, there's this subset of the online man that seems gross and aggressive. And then there's the real guys who show up in front of you and they're the opposite of that. And so there's all these misconceptions. I started to believe, well, even because of my marriage, I believed that men were void of intimacy. I believed that men didn't like deep conversation because this is what happens. If you are in a situation for long enough, you think it's normal. So I thought my partner not wanting to talk about anything, he never talked about emotionals, emotions or depth or anything, thought that was normal. And then the first guy I meet for like a, a lunch date, he tells me like his life story and like all the bad things he's ever done and the things he regret. And I'm just sitting there like, whoa, like, wait, this is real? Like there are men like this? And then that's how my partner is now. We can talk about anything. And it's like, wow, I had such a crappy misconception about men because of my situation. But then also because when you're first in the online world, you really are bombarded. The ones who are the loudest, of course, this is true for anything, like the politicians, people who are loudest take up the most space and then they make you think everybody's like this. And that is so not true. That's why I feel like I'm sort of as weird as it is. I'm, I really am an advocate for online dating, but I'm an advocate of protecting yourself in that space and being aware of it. 
I think it's an awesome tool and that because we are all so removed from each other, it has this ability to bring us together, but you have to use it correctly Mm -hmm. and you do have to meet people. I mean, so many, I've heard of so many women who are in these long distance relationships where it's just a texting thing. And I'm like, oh, that kind of makes me cringe because I think (laughs) you have no idea who you're texting with. Anybody can say awesome things over text. And there, there was one guy in particular, most of the guys I met in person really were who they were. There was one guy who had created himself and I got so excited about meeting him because he seemed so perfect and he was absolutely the worst date ever. It was weird. I, I'm looking at him thinking, who wrote your emails? Because his emails were like articulate and were kind of romantic. And here's this guy who he yammered. It was like, he wasn't even talking with me. It was like, he was talking at me. And he was absolutely obsessed with the fact that I had to eat gluten-free, which was a huge red flag that he lacked empathy. Because I was like, my my health condition that means I can't have pizza is not really bearing on you. Like the fact that you're making it into such an ordeal, like it's so traumatic for you. I'm like, I, I just wanted to go home so badly, but that like, he was really one of the only ones that was super bad because literally, yeah, he had just portrayed himself online as like super cool guy. And he just, he was just totally not. Yeah. Oh my God. So I'm 53 now. Sometimes I have to remind myself that I'm like, what am I really 53? Yes, I am 53. And I have been married for 22 years. But before I was married, I did not do the online dating. I just did real people dating, (laughs) just meet them here and there, friends of friends or whatever. So I don't have the experience with the online dating and so I wonder if there, there are probably other listeners out there who have also not been involved in the online dating. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what the process is like. In your book, you listed several different apps that you've tried. And I want, want to know if you can also talk about which ones you thought worked the best for you. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a great question because I think a lot of people who have been in long-term relationships really have no understanding of the online world and are are probably rightfully scared of it and not wanting to go into it. I meet a lot of women who are like, no way am I going to do that. And I would say, well, give it a try because you just don't know. And it can be really fun. But the first thing really, I think anybody starting out, really get clear on what you are looking for. Get clear on yourself first. Like really, it starts with yourself. So you need to be clear. What am I looking for? Do I want companionship? Do I want like a lifelong partner? Am I looking for just fun dates or just connection? I mean, that all matters because the energy you put out is what you're going to get back a lot of times. And that's going to help you even when you frame your profile that you so that you're really clear in your profile. So that's sort of just the the sheer basics. But as far as the platforms, I can say they've kind of morphed a little bit since I was on. So I'm 49 and and I started in the online world in, when I was 41. Um, and I was on and off dating different people for about two years before I found my partner. And so things have changed a little bit. But I think that the basic gist is they're all very similar. And the reason I like what I liked is because it allowed me to share more. So my favorite was Match.com. And the reason I chose that one is, A, 
the majority of the people on there are paid subscribers. You really can't do very much for free. Where you get some real trouble is in the freebie sites. So I did do Plenty of Fish and OkCupid, which are, um, they do have paid options, but there are a lot of free people on there. And there's a lot of ways you can be on there for free. The membership offers you a level of protection and also the, the concept that this person has invested you know, you're all invested in the same thing. So you can you can make a, a broad assumption that you're going to get better quality people. And for where I lived, I thought eHarmony, I had listened to the ads for years and thought, oh, eHarmony is where it's at for me because I'm totally into personality theory. I love that stuff. I love taking the tests. And that's what they do. They give you a huge list of tests and you get matched. But I lived in Western Connecticut at that time, and the pool of men was like nil. So I had spent all this money, and I was really dejected, actually, because, A, I swear to you, I think even the pool they were showing me were not real people, or they weren't <laughs> active anymore, which is what is really gross about some of these apps. They feed you people who are not actually active. And that's my biggest beef with any of them. And I think they're trying to keep their numbers up. But what happens is people come and go. People are dating someone and they just don't even go back to the bother to say, I'm out, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. And so their profile still shows up. And you're trying to communicate with this awesome guy thinking, oh my God. And, and he doesn't respond and you're so dejected, but it's like, he didn't respond because he doesn't exist. It's mm. so demoralizing. And I never would have assumed that, except I know it to be true because I had a guy call me out when I my membership on Match had expired and I'd been chatting with this guy. He was really breadcrumbing me. That's a term. He was really, he was texting with me, but never asking me out. And it was very strange. I was like, what is, what is this guy's deal? But I think he was literally just like trying to keep a, a connection in case whoever he was dating fell through. Oh my gosh. Which is so gross. This is a thing. Yeah. So he messaged me one day out of the blue and he's like, how's it like being off match? And he was being all snarky. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I can see you're active right now. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he sends me a screenshot of my profile with a little green button saying I was on there at that moment. And I was like, I haven't been on that app for three weeks. And I, I really freaked out. I went in right away. I changed everything. I wrote, I'm sorry, I've left the site. I'm not interested anymore, whatever. I wrote a note to people because I was like, this is terrible. The idea that there, there are men who think I'm just ignoring them or like, you know, when I was not there. So I share that in the book as like, because once I learned that, uh, it totally took a weight off of me because I really felt really rejected. There were a lot of guys that I reached out to that I got no response. And then after a while, you start to think, oh my God, like I must be hideous. Nobody even wants to talk to me. I mean, it is, I've talked to other women and it, that is probably the number one hard thing is that the level of both implied yeah. and built in rejection to being on the platforms is brutal. Um, and it doesn't, it's not correlating to necessarily what you look like or even your worth. The, the apps are just tools. So you use what you like the best. And the why I like Match was not just because it was paid, but because it has a huge area where you could write about yourself and put all your hobbies. 
And you can also search by all that stuff. So you're searching by, you know, people who like to hike and people who like movies. And you really do get the people, if they're being honest, you get people who are more likely to be on your wavelength. Bumble, from what I now understand, has has become the leader. But I hated Bumble. I really hated it because Bumble is like Tinder in that all you get is room for pictures and like a one sentence intro. And I really found that so superficial. The idea that I'm actually scrolling through men based just on what they looked like, it made me feel so gross inside because I was like, hmm. I just, I don't want to do that to people. I don't, want to, I don't want to choose someone just based on their looks. I want to know, what are you into? And one sentence is not going to do it. There's also the way they handle it is you get like, if you swipe, I, I can't even remember if it's swipe right or left, but if you you swipe the way that you like the person and they had swiped on you, well, then you match. But if, so that's in theory, that feels empowering, but it's not necessarily because you, because the woman can be swiping all over the place. And if the men are not swiping on them, you're still not really connecting with them. And of course, it really should be a two way, but it's, it didn't feel empowering to me. It felt, it actually felt like I was objectifying people and I was being objectified. And for that same reason, I never went on Tinder. I mean, Tinder already has a rep for being a hookup site, which is fine. You know, if that's what you're looking for, that is totally fine to each his own. But I, that was not what I was looking for. I think you can, um, you could just explore really, if you're interested, try the different things. It's worth trying to see what, what's going to feel the best. You mentioned Bumble and how that wasn't an app that you really enjoyed. And so in doing research for my interview with you, I found out that Bumble, which I recently learned was founded by women. And I think that there aren't that many apps out there that were founded by women, that they uncovered some statistics regarding online dating one of which was that 57% of women believe dating apps aren't a safe place to meet romantic partners. So how do you feel about the online dating scene in that regard? I'm torn with that because I, I definitely felt like it could be scary. It's also about how you use them and really trusting your intuition, trusting your gut. Like I said that constantly in the book. Because there were men who came up and immediately I had a sick feeling in my stomach. I always feel when I have gut instinct, it literally is in my gut, in the center of my belly. And so the problem for me, actually, and I think a lot of women have the potential to do this, is then I would go, oh, you're just overreacting. You're being mean. Don't be, don't be judgmental. Give the guy a shot. I just think it's really important that you hear your, your inner voice and you trust it and you not get off the app. Cause that's the thing you can message within the app and they don't have really any way to contact you. I mean, I guess in these days people can search for your image and they could probably find you in social media. If, if they were so inclined, my, my partner says this to me all the time. If someone wants to find you, they can find you. It's really kind of gross, but it's very true. And so I wouldn't want to see someone not go on an app out of fear because again, it literally is just a tool that could potentially 
have you meet the love of your life, truly. Um, but yeah, there are predators and there are scammers. And a lot of those people are really transparent, though. Sadly, I will say, if you go in and you are really vulnerable, mm -hmm. and I know women, I know a woman who she was newly divorced and her husband had moved on quickly. And really, she went on to find someone quickly. And she ended up giving money to scammers. She ended up meeting men in hotel rooms. She got in really, really scary situations. But it was because of her, where she was in her headspace was sort of in a, I got to find someone fast. Now, you can't go in with that sort of energy, or you will, sadly, probably get yourself into an unsafe situation. So as a lot of my listeners already know, I'm a betrayal trauma survivor married to a recovering sex and porn addict. And because of my situation and the research that I've done since my discovery day, paired with being in recovery groups with other betrayed women, I know about some of the stalking habits and practices of male predators. So there was a period of time when my heart was broken so much by my husband that I actually considered going back into dating and trying online dating. But then I realized that I was terrified that I would actually just end up with another man who was a sex and porn addict. And, and then I realized that that's actually pretty common with other betrayed partners. Unfortunately, one of the things that can happen to betrayed partners is we can believe that all men are sexually objectifying women and are participating in using pornography and are using the dating sites for the purpose of stalking. I was in a recovery group that was all women. And this one woman who they, you know, all had abusive husbands emotional it was emotional abuse sometimes it verged onto physical abuse too but this woman reported to us that her ex-husband she had found out that you know they had five kids together and she found out that he had been found on a dating app only admitting to having two two of the five kids so how do you trust people in this world, you know, they can find you in so many different ways. There are places online where anyone can pay to find out the address of someone. And then when you are putting your photo online, they can find you that way too. They can look you up on LinkedIn. There are just a variety of different ways that you can be stalked online and lied to. That's the scary thing for me. And so I wonder if in the process of doing the online dating, if you discovered through going out with different men and trying to connect with them, red flags that you could share with other women that are like I was just kind of terrified of that whole situation. Yeah. Well, I will say it is funny how you get everything is sort of like you can get desensitized to it. And when I first went on, um, I was a little naive, but also paranoid. I really was. And so what I did every time I went on a date, and to your point, if you Google someone's phone number, you can find pretty much anything about them. I knew where every man I went on a physical date with, I knew where they lived. 
I knew where they worked. I knew everything, which was great because I could verify that what they were telling me was true. And that was pretty simple. So I was very aware that they could do the same thing to me. So when I went out, I, my best friend always got the details. She knew every guy, their pictures, where I was going. And 90% of the time I would, I mean, I loved going to Panera. It was kind of funny, but because it's a very public and very chill place, you go up, I could get my coffee before they even got there. So I didn't need to deal with them paying for me and that weird dynamic. And we could just sit in the corner and chat and you could get a, I could get a read on them, their body language. And really, I, I mean, I think I was really lucky, but I also think I came with an energy and my profile was very, um, especially at first, very Pollyanna-ish. I think it was very clear that I was a little bit of a nerd girl. <laughs> so, <laughs> which I'm not entirely, but that's a good persona to be, at least from the perspective of keeping the men who are just after sex at bay. They won't go after you. They won't. I mean, I ha they, that's just the truth, especially if I, it was very clear that I'm looking for a relationship. That they'll scroll right on by. So that doesn't always work, but I will say that I do think that kept a level of protection for me. Um, and yeah, I think having my friend be so aware um, but I do, I mean, you're right though. The world is scary. Like there really are a lot of things that can be very dangerous and you do have to be mindful of it, but also not to the point that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, cause we can, we can kind of do that where we're energetically projecting our fear and then we get back, you know, the kind of thing we're fearing or we manifesting what you weren't really looking for. Right. So there's sort of this really interesting dance there. I think that's a good way of putting it, an interesting dance. Yeah. And it, you know, makes me think about the secret. Yeah. Well, I'm super into law of attraction and I write about that a lot in the book. And, you know, the whole third phase of the book is kind of woo-woo stuff because honestly, it worked. I had read about this stuff for years, but when I actually put it into place, that was when my partner showed up. It was really, really wild. Like mm -hmm. when I went first into online dating, and I know this about myself in general, I have codependency issues. I am an empath. I push my love and energy outward. Okay. Like I'm just like that. I'm now aware of that. And I'm better at kind of putting up my boundaries. But the thing that's really interesting and why I realized I was attracting narcissists so much is that narcissists have a taking energy. So you can imagine a narcissist meets an empath. It's like a magnet. There's major chemistry. And it really, that it that really is true. When I met my ex, my brain was going, this guy's a jerk. <laughs> this guy's snarky. He's rude. Why are you even giving him the time of day? But my heart was going, oh my God this guy's so great and he just needs someone to love him <laughs> because no one can see his oh my god I know it was so it's so delusional to me now because I can see the pattern but many of us don't see the pattern so when I started really really focusing on self-love I showed up totally differently and I love that you're so self-aware about how you were when you realized uh, your issues with your husband and that your your inclination was well I'm gonna get out there but then your heart said uh no I'm not oh no protection safety counseling you did the, <laughs> that's super perfect 
Because the scary thing is the people who go on because of insecurities. You know, I talk about that a lot in the in the intro of the book to say, are you even ready to be in dating? Because most of us really aren't when we think we are. Um, you got to get really good with yourself before you want to mesh with someone else. And if you've come out of a really long-term relationship or anything that was sort of toxic, your your gauge is not very good. So, so to your point, the original part you're asking about lying, you won't really be able to see the lies if you want to believe them. You know, so like the most dangerous men were the love bombers. They were the ones who told me everything I wanted to hear. And they weren't dangerous in a physical sense, of course. They weren't dangerous mm -hmm. in like I had personal safety issues, but they were emotionally dangerous because they were preying on my insecurities and making me fall for them when they weren't who they were pretending to be. And that's pretty harsh. When you really realize that, that becomes, that's very devastating to realize that this person who was seemingly amazing really wasn't. And love bombing is one of the tactics of abusive men. Yeah, that's the thing that's so interesting to me. The thread to me of narcissism is in everything. It's in the patriarchy. It's in any type of power dynamics. Abuse and even addiction always has a thread of narcissism. Because what is happening is the person is choosing themselves first. They're not thinking about another person. When a person is in, a, in an addiction state, sadly, they're choosing their addiction over everything else. When a person is fully narcissistic, they're choosing their own well-being over everything else. And it becomes a wash of abuse to anyone in the path of any one of those types of people, which let's face it, is like a huge percent of the population right now. I, I think it's you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who doesn't have some addiction, some narcissism, some selfishness, you know, it's, it's rampant. And the online world just makes all of that easier. Self-awareness and doing your own work is crucial for you to be really mentally and emotionally safe, as well as the physical safety part. Yeah. So you brought up the topic of addiction too. And I wanted to just kind of talk a little bit about that because, you know, it's online dating and there's a hookup culture in there and there are men who are predators. And so I wondered if you could share a little bit about your experience coming across some of the men in that realm that either obviously, you know, talked about porn and sex addiction, or that you just recognized in them that they had some issues with that. Yeah. So like I had mentioned, I do think the thread of porn addiction was apparent to me just in the nature of the way the men some of the men acted so entitled and were so fixated on photos or hypersexualized language, um, the things they want to do to you. That always made me laugh. I would actually respond with, how do you know you want to do that to me? Like, that's so weird. And they would... That's the nerd girl in you. Well, like to turn them, they'd be like, yeah, they'd be like, well, she's, well, she's too high level. I'm not going to go for her anymore. Because like, yeah, it was just funny to me. This was someone I dated, really nice guy, Mr. Family Man. I actually fell for him more because he was super. Mr. Family Man with five kids, but really tells you it's two. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, no. You really did tell me you had three children by two different women. That part was honest. Like I ended up being his basically therapist. He he would just talk to me all the time about his kids and his work. It was the strangest dynamic. But I really was smitten with him because he did have empathy. And I had had so many men who didn't. So I was like finally an empathetic man. But he was like the other spectrum where he really still lacked self-awareness. He did have some empathy, but it wasn't toward me. It was only toward his family and toward, you know, his own problems. So it was a very strange dynamic, but I was very attracted to him, but the intimacy was weird. And this is where the porn shows up. So I realized when we would be intimate, it was like he was watching us. And I'd never experienced anything like this. Now, I hadn't been with very many men, but it was like, it literally would be like, he was sort of away from me, sort of watching my body. I was like, why is he so fixated on the watching part? We were having issues. He was having some problems and I was, oh my God, I was so mortified. I, of course, you know, the woman always blames herself and I'm just like, what can I do? What's the matter? And he was just like, oh, and he was actually <laughs> sweet about it. He said, oh, don't worry. I think I'm just- So I'm just going to interrupt for a second and say that the problems with the air quotes is erectile dysfunction. That is correct. And, and what people don't, tell you tell the men is that using porn excessively can lead to erectile dysfunction okay so you can exactly so he was aware <laughs> of that i was not he so he threw in oh don't worry about it it's i think i'm watching too much porn and i was like whoa this was like news to me i didn't know anything about it so of course he leaves my house and i'm googling what does what happens with myself <laughs> because i was like what am i gonna do because my self-esteem i really it really hurt me i was like oh my God, I'm not sexy enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not doing the right things. And, you know, luckily I found a bunch of information that was like, uh, no, this is a real thing. And, and then this was sort of interesting. I had forgotten about this, but the universe is weird how you get information. But I, before I was even in online dating, I came across the movie on Amazon Prime. It's an Adam Sandler movie. It's one of his serious ones. I wrote it down. You might know it. Men, Women, and Children. Mm, I haven't seen that. The whole theme is the adults in the movie are all cheating on each other <laughs> with dating in Ashley Madison. You know that the cheating site? Uh, no. Or they're um have escorts and then the wait. The Ashley Madison is the cheating site. Yeah, that's a ch a cheating site. Yes, yes, it's intentionally for married men. Um, ew. I'm having some feelings. I know it is gross. It's terrible. And I don't, I didn't know anything about it, but it, there's like a whole documentary on, I think it's Hulu. Um, but yeah, so that's the undercurrent for the adults. But there was a teen boy in it and he was addicted to porn. So he's like, 15 years old and they show him in high school and he falls for like the head cheerleader and she's gorgeous and they start to create an intimate relationship and of course he can't have an erection and she loses it because she's used to being gorgeous and all the guys wanting her and she's like what is happening and so I had watched that like a year prior to this guy saying what he said and it was like in my back of my head but I'd sort of forgotten about it and all of a sudden it was like oh my god this is real because I don't think I really believed it was real like I think something in me had said yeah no that doesn't really happen mm. and then suddenly it was made I was aware of the fact that oh no this is happening all the time and this is a lot probably of why I was feeling the energy of the objectification is is that's why I'm making I'm able to say kind of more of a broad 
sweeping turn that I think that the porn culture does impact the online dating world, even just from that perspective of the objectification, the desensitization. And as you explained so beautifully, yeah, if someone is, is getting off to porn every day, couple times a day, a woman is not going to do it for them anymore. Like it's, it's really sad, especially with the kind of porn that is now being shown to people. It's not even healthy. Yeah. Nobody likes that. That's the other thing that's so twisted. You ask a man and he will say, women like that. And it's like, no, dude, no, they don't. I can't tell you how right. many it's men I had that conversation porn. with and make it my purpose yep. to point it out. No, women do not. They're acting. Yes, some women. Yeah. And yes, some women like rough. Yes. But we're not talking like beat the crap out of me rough. We're talking like, I mean, it's a scale. And they're way off. Right. Right. It's a job. There's totally, Mm -hmm. I have been very naive. And so I've watched documentaries and I get that everybody has different sexual preferences. I get that. I'm totally um, cool with that. Maybe you could spank my butt. But there's very few people (laughs) who want to be physically harmed to the point, because, you know, BDM culture is actually very respectful. Like it's very, there's safe words, there's things, there's, there's a lot of power dynamics that in the porn industry, there is only one power dynamic. It's the man over the woman, always. There's no, I mean, so come on. It's not real, but they believe it is. The first is, do you have advice for older women who are beginning their online dating adventures? I actually think that's a really great question. And I think that um, the first thing I would say is mindset is everything. So you you have to believe that a man is out there for you or whatever you're looking for, a man or a woman, that, that they're out there. I think so many people think um, I'm too old. I'm never going to find anyone. That's crap. That's totally not true. Like your person, there are so many people in their 40s and 50s, 60s even, who are out there looking for love. So you're not out of time. Nobody's out of time. Um, be willing to put yourself out there and have a positive mindset about it and know what you want. Really, I feel like self-awareness for everything is the whole key, the secret sauce, is knowing what you want and being um, prepared to ask for it, being really clear. Like one of the things I did love about online dating is it helped me learn how to be braver with my communication. Not at first. At first, I had a really hard time pushing back and having my boundaries. But after a while, you realize, okay, if I don't speak up, I'm going to end up with a jerk. So (laughs) I better assert myself. (laughs) And I got really much better. Um, And to the point of lying, even, there's a lot of sin of omission, a lot. So you need to learn how to ask good questions and listen. Really, a lot of people will tell you everything you need to know about them. Most people are not very good liars. And I don't think most people really want to deceive. It's not a good place to be. It doesn't feel good. Um, So I think that, you know, if you do go deep with a person and and feel confident in being a brave communicator, you're going to learn a lot and you're going to you're going to be able to weed out the people who are not so good for you. So, you know, since this is uh, season two of the podcast and I've changed the the theme over a little bit to focus on women redesigning the world as a better place for women. I just want to 
say thank you for putting the book out that you did about online dating, because I think that it's really going to help a lot of women who are struggling with trying to decide if they should put themselves out there or not put themselves out there. And I know that you don't, maybe you don't want to think of yourself as, as an expert, but being in the online dating scene for such a long time, I feel like you have a lot of insight into that world. And you, I can imagine as a creative person that you, if, if we put you in charge of redesigning the dating world online, that you would have some good uh, changes to make. So could you share with us three of the top changes that you would like to see happen in online dating? That is so hard because I would say in terms of the platforms, the number one thing that comes to my mind is authentication for, for identity. They need to be better. It's not that hard to actually identify that your users are who they say they are. And so I do think that that should be better and more transparent. I mean, transparency is always where it's at, in my opinion. But beyond that, I really think a lot of what's going on in online dating is user error. It's like, you know, the humans are really the ones who are kind of showing up <laughs> with, with some issues. And the, the, uh, the next two, I would say, is, you know, from a human perspective, be authentic. Show up with authenticity. So many men told me that they were relieved when I showed up and I looked like my pictures because I wasn't even savvy enough to filter myself. Like I didn't even know how to do that. I was, I really was like so new to the game. And I was like, <laughs> wait, what? They were like, oh my God. Yes. Everybody they met did not look like their pictures. People were using old pictures. And that stuns me because I'm thinking, what are you actually thinking is going to happen? Like, you cannot start a relationship on a blatant lie, like that you're a completely different looking person or that you're completely different hobbies. You know, you've got to be authentic. You can't possibly find your right person if you're not showing up with authenticity. So that is like huge to me. And then I think the other that is really obvious to me that's just the whole world needs more of is empathy. Realizing Men and women have to be doing this. I mean, I think a lot of the women that I would be talking to have an abundance of empathy, but if I could talk to men and I could counsel them, I would really be like, hey guys, just recognize that there's a human on the other end of the line. This is someone that could be your life partner, that could bring you great joy and love. So you really want to try to show up with and be kind and be respectful and insightful and, and take the time to get to know them. Like it's a two-way street. Both parties have to be willing to do the work. And I think that sadly, there's a decent number of people who are just, you know, in the swipe culture, they're just looking for the bigger, better deal or the next best looking thing or, you know, superficial things. And that's never going to be that's never going to bring love. So I'm not sure I'd have to do like sort of a fairy godmother thing for that to happen if everybody shows up with empathy, but it's my wish. It's my goal. <laughs> That's a good goal. So my contribution to overhauling the, the online dating scene would be to require everyone to do uh, a polygraph test. Oh, wow. That would be my contribution nice. across the board, everyone. Yeah. Um, so 
<laughs> that would be a tough sell. And then, and then nobody sell. would probably want right. to do it because right. <laughs> everyone wants to hide something. Yeah. yeah. Um, so can you tell our listeners where they can connect with you and if you have any exciting projects in the wings? I can be found at happyhealthyher.com. That's on my main website. And I'm currently working on a book and course on healing from narcissistic abuse. The book, actually writing the book on dating, online dating and actually experiencing all the narcissists that I experienced made me really take pause and say, wait a minute, why is this happening? And so I did a deep dive and I've done a ton of research and I'm really proud of what I'm about to put out. It should be out probably by the end of September this month or um, October, I hope. It's hard. It's a very vulnerable project. I know about that. You're very brave. Yeah, you're very brave. No vulnerability. It's hard when you put yourself out there. The dating book was a little bit hard for me. This is even deeper. I think it's needed. Like, I really think that that's, if I had to pinpoint a thread of what is wrong with our culture right now, I would actually say the underpinning really is narcissism. Oh, that's exciting. You have another book coming up. So thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for coming on and and enlightening me and all of my listeners about the online dating world. It's been so fascinating to learn about it from your perspective. I'm excited to see your next book offering and I have your current one right here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for supporting me and buying it. Thank you for listening to this episode of I Am My Passion Project. Regular episodes drop every Thursday, like biscuits, with bonus episodes sprinkled into the week. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider sharing it with friends or leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, I invite you to use Woman House as your muse to help redesign our world as a better and safer place for women. I am my passion project